Well, good morning, Abundant Life. My name is Chad. If we haven't had the chance to meet, man, I'm so glad that you are here this morning. I have the privilege of serving as the teaching pastor. And I want to invite you this morning to find a copy of God's Word. Turn to the book of Leviticus. If you're new to the Bible, Leviticus is in the Old Testament. Uh, to start in Genesis means beginnings, and then you just kind of work your way. You'll find it sooner or later. If you are on your device, we have this thing called the YouVersion Bible app. You can follow along with us on the YouVersion Bible app as well this morning. And as you're finding your way to Leviticus chapter 4, I just want to start off by telling you, I've done a, a couple of new things in 2019, and I'm sure you have as well, and so let me just tell you a couple things I've done that are new. First of all, um, I have just for the very first time invited the people that I was preaching to to open to the book of Leviticus, all right? So I need your prayers, right? So I sat down with Pastor Phil a couple months ago, and he's like, here's where we're headed in the new year. I was like, Joshua, we got it, Leviticus. I was like, uh-oh. Can I see your notes, brother? And so he hooked me up, and so we good. Uh, the second thing that I've done new this year is that you are looking at the official coach of the unicorn kindergarten girls soccer team, all right? And so, yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah, and so uh, you can see me and my daughter right here. This is one of my daughters. This is Elizabeth. She's five, and, and so uh, we're sponsored by Goodyear, Lee Summit Parks and Rec. We got it going on, and so we're out there. And man, I, 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 uh, I'm excited. I don't know much about soccer. I don't know much about girls, but I do know about competition, all right? And so, you know, I play college sports, and, and, and it's in my bones. So I'm out there. You know, first game of the year, I'm like, oh, it's about to go down. You know, I'm just excited. I'm watching, like, YouTube, Eric Thomas. He's like the paragon of motivation. And I got Sylvester Stallone in my ear and, you know, just firing me up, getting me motivated. I'm out there. I'm like, well, we about to, we about to raise up the, the girl Ronaldo. We about to raise her up, man. We about to dominate out here. Y'all want some of this? You know, that kind of thing. And so out there, and, and, and man, the game goes great. I mean, we are off to a great start. Um, and we, we end up, the, the regulation time goes out and it's tied two to two, which at this age, we, we don't keep score. But come on, come on. <laughs> You know, and I was playing a good brother because he was asking the ref, hey, could we get a little more time to see if we can break this tie? And I was like, yeah, we've been keeping score. And so we get a little more time, and so we're going into overtime now. And we had the ball, so I'm thinking, all right, basically, here's my strategy. You stand here, you kick it to her, and then go score, all right? That's my strategy, okay? And so I had my girl lined up, and she was going to kick it to this girl, then they were going to go score. And uh, not a great soccer strategy, but hey, what we're doing. Anyway, and so I, I, I am allowed to coach on the field at this age group. And so I'm on the field, I'm directing my girls, and, and I get them there and like, all right, go. And she kicks it in. And as soon as she kicks it in, um, very, very suddenly, there's a, a change of possession. And so the, opponent, the, the opposing team, they steal the ball from our girls, and now they're coming uh, to score the game-winning goal, and I find myself in between their goal and the girls. And so I'm like, uh oh, I, I need to get out of the way. And so I start kind of backpedaling this way, and then I realize I need to go that way. And so I change direction, and then I slip. And when I slip, I get down in a three-point stance trying to catch myself. And I do one of these, and then I'm, I'm stumbling trying to get out of the way. And I think, oh, I made it out of the way. Unbeknownst to me, my girl that just kicked the ball in, she's trying to come to the action. And then, boom, I just smoke her, man. She just runs right into me. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> medic, medic. And then it was like slow-mo. I, like, I hit my knees, and I'm like, no. And I look back, and the, the, the opposing team's kicking the game-winning goal. As I'm cradling her up, she begins to weep, and I'm like, going to her dad, I'm sorry. <laughs> and that's why I'll never be the coach of the year. 
So I slipped up and it led me to jack up this innocent little girl, my 220 versus her 40. And I um, mean, it was the hit of a lifetime, but I'm just kidding. I share that story with you this morning because I think that's a great picture of life for a lot of us. Like, like we hit the field of life and maybe the field of life for you is, is you're a first time parent or maybe you're hitting the, the, your career, you're in your early 20s and you're like, man, I'm about to, about to dominate. Or maybe you're retiring, you're like, retirement's gonna be awesome, empty nest, wherever you're at, you hit your respective field of, of life and you're, you're watching Furtick and getting motivated or you're watching some sort of motivational thing, reading books, I don't know what you're doing to get motivated, but you're out there like, oh, I'm about to dominate this, I'm about to do this and dominate this, and then it's inevitable that you have a slip up that leads you to jack up some people in your life. Like maybe you slipped up and you did something you weren't supposed to do at the office and it jacked up your, your relationship with your boss. Or, or maybe you slipped up and, and you, you, you bought that thing impulsively that you weren't supposed to buy and your husband said, hey, we've gotta watch our finances, but you're like, oh, I really need this new blouse or the stilettos or whatever your thing is, and you bought them and, and it jacked up your, your trust with your man. Or, or maybe you slipped up and, and you said some things that you just get so irritated at your kids, you know, and you just said some things at them and, and then it jacked up the relationship in your household. I think that we've all slipped up and it led us to jack up some things in our life. I wonder, what, what's your biggest slip up? What's that thing that you just, man, it just seems to have your number? I, I know for me, like it's so odd for me, like the people I love the most in my life are the people I get irritated the most at in my life, anybody? Yeah. And so just Monday, I was doing some plumbing at our house, and uh, we had a, a water line that needed to be replaced. And so, you know, I, I, we, we get it done. I call a good friend of mine. He helps me out, and I, and I cut a hole in the, the closet wall to access the water line. And, and, and I just about got it done, and, and I didn't share any of this with my wife that I'd be working on, on this on Monday. She was out, and she comes back in, and she just walks in and just sees a hole in the wall in our closet. And she's thinking, why is there a hole in the wall in our closet, right? And so she comes in and begins to just ask me some questions, and, and I took it personal, y'all. I'm like, don't you tell me how to do this, right? And so I start like just speaking to her, and what slipped out of my mouth was a tone and were words that really no husband should speak to his wife. I wonder what's your biggest slip up? I know mine, I just slipped up on Monday and I said some things that I regret. And when we slip up, where do we go to, to make it right? What do we do to make it right? If you're taking notes, I've titled this message this morning, Slip Ups, Slip Ups. And I want you to see this morning that there is a cleanup for our slip up. I want you to see that we can make up the things that we messed up. And before we leave this morning, I wanna bring this book of Leviticus into your everyday life by calling you to a modern day sacrifice. So we're in this series called Leviticus, and we just kind of been walking through the five offerings uh, that we find in the book of Leviticus, and Pastor Phil's done a great job of just uh, launching us into this series, and he's going verse by verse uh, through Leviticus at the well, and we've covered the burnt offering, we've covered the grain offering, y'all remember Phil up in this like, all bakery feel, you know, anyway, I loved it. And we, and we also covered the, the peace offering last week, and this morning we're going to finish with covering the sin offering and the trespass offering. And Leviticus is this amazing book that we've been walking through because listen, uh, the, 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 the book of Leviticus is one of the most quoted Old Testament books by the New Testament authors. And when we can grab a hold of the Levitical language and the sacrificial system, it can shine light 
on the glorious reality of the cross. And, and so let me explain it this way. We've had this shadow up here and this light shining on the cross. And, and what's happened so often is that we, we don't like to study books like Leviticus, and so we just kind of sever the sacrificial language and we sever the shadows. And when we sever those shadows and we don't study the, the scripture in totality, we also diminish the light that is shining on the substance of Christ. Uh, Paul, he says it like this in Colossians 2.17, he says that the, the Old Testament rituals and sacrifices, that sort of thing, um, they are shadows that find their substance in Christ. And so we've severed these shadows as a church in America, but we are like Wendy and Peter Pan. We're sewing that shadow back on, all right? And so we are studying the book of Leviticus because it's gonna give us language to intensify and magnify the glorious reality that we find in Jesus' sacrifice. And so Moses, he's, he's going through trying to retrain really a new order of life with this, this ragtag bunch of slaves that have just got emancipated from the Egyptians. And he brings them together in the book of Leviticus and he says, all right guys, listen, listen, listen. This is how you relate to God. This is how you draw near to the God that liberated you. This is how you have a relationship with him. And so he's gone through these offerings and these sacrifices and we pick up in Leviticus chapter four, starting in verse 27. It says this, if any one of the common people sins unintentionally, now you can say that word unintentionally, it's kind of interesting that he uses that word, it's the Hebrew word shagaga, isn't that a funny word? Shagaga, right? And he uses that word unintentionally and shagaga literally means ignorantly. He says, when you sin in ignorance, like you didn't know better, maybe you were brought up in a home like mine where pornography was encouraged, Maybe you were brought up in a, in a home um, where, where you just didn't really know that certain things, you shouldn't say certain words. You shouldn't treat people certain ways. Maybe you were brought up looking at somebody's uh, economic status or the color of their skin saying that they were different than you. And maybe you're just ignorant about some things. And Moses says, when you sin ignorantly by doing something against any of the commandments of, of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done and you're guilty, he, he's saying when you don't do what God's asked you to do, you sin. See, sin isn't just the bad things that we do. You know that, right? Sin is not just the bad things that you do. Sin is also the, the good things that God wants you to do that you're not doing. And so when we talk about what's your greatest slip up, some of your greatest slip ups may be that you're just passive in your relationships. You may be like, you know what, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad of a person. Yeah, but you're not that biblical of a person either. And so what's your greatest slip up? And that's what Moses is, is having them draw to mind. Are you doing the things God wants you to do and are you not doing the things that God doesn't want you to do? That's what he's talking about here. And then he goes on in verse 28. He says, or if his sin, which he has committed, comes to his knowledge, you can circle that word, then he shall bring his offering. And you can circle the word offering. We're gonna talk about those two words in just a second. And he goes on to tell you what type of offering you should bring. Now you see kind of a side note here, you see a rhythm playing out in Leviticus chapter four and it's like if the priest sins unintentionally, his offering should be this. The congregation, they're offering this. If a leader, his offering this. And then if a common man, his offering this. And, and you see kind of a various level of, of requirement for the person's responsibility. Uh, Pastor Phil, he said this a few years ago and I really love this, is that the greater the responsibility God has given you, the greater the consequence of your sin. And so listen, if you decide to compromise and you're a single adult, there's gonna be casualties in your life. But when you get some people that are following you and underneath your leadership, 
Let's say you're that single adult and now you're leading a community group or you're, you're discipling somebody going through D1 and you decide to sin, there's casualties even more now. Let alone if you're a, a head of a household, if you're a father and you have five kids or two kids or whatever it is and you decide to compromise, there's even more casualties now. If you think, oh, we're empty nesting and it's time to get a divorce and, and, it, and our kids will understand, no, make no mistake, there will be casualties. And the greater your responsibility that God has given you, the greater the consequence of your sin. Be careful, man of God. Be careful, woman of God. That's the side note. Anyway, let's go back here. Point number one, if you're taking notes, here it is. The cleanup for the slip up. The cleanup for the slip up. And so Leviticus is telling us real clearly that we all got issues. Amen. <laughs> yes, calling you out, calling me out. We all got issues this morning. From the priest to the pagan, we all jacked up, all right? And so no perfect people allowed. If you find a perfect church, don't go. You'll mess it up, okay? I'm just trying to speak the truth, all right? And so what Leviticus is saying is that we all slip up. We were born on this slippery slope called sin, that sin isn't just something that we do. Sin is something that we are. It's innate inside of us. It's insidious even in the most innocent of us here this morning. But what Moses says, he says that when you sin and it, and it comes to your knowledge, that word knowledge in the Hebrew is the word yada. Yada, it, it, it means to see or to know intimately. Adam, yada, Eve, that's, that's the same word. Do, do you know your sin intimately? Are you aware of just how jacked up you are? I mean, I think most of us are, are, are more jacked up than we really want to admit. And Moses is saying is when, when you have become aware of your sin, you have the knowledge of the gravity of your sin and it leads to repentance. I remember I was 20 years old when I really felt like I, the, the, the gravity of my depravity set into my heart. And so I, I, I know the gospel, I had heard about how Jesus loved me, but I, I found myself on this pattern of, 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 of just like sin, confess, and then I'd be good for a little while, and then I'd fall back again. Oh, and then I'd sin, confess, and I'd, I'd be good for a little while, then I'd fall again, sin, confess, and I just got tired, man. I feel like I was on the treadmill of transformation, not getting anywhere, just exhausted. And then when I was 20 years old, I got a, a, a proper view, a bigger view of God's holiness, it, and it revealed in me the depth of my sinfulness. I was like, oh my gosh, you're that way, God? And I've called you my homeboy. I've treated you like you're just like me, but just a little bit better. But God, you are of another kind. You're so holy. And it revealed to me the depth of my sinfulness. And I began to say about my sin the same thing that God says about my sin. See, the sin offering in the book of Leviticus, it, it, was, a, it was stank. <laughs> That's a get, ghetto word. It means it stinks really bad. It was stank, all right, if I can say that word. And, and, and so, I mean, it, it, it like made people make a stank face. You know what a stank face is? Like, you know, like that, right? And, and, and this stench was, a, was meant to be a, a reminder of the stench of sin in the nostrils of God. I wonder, has your sin become a stench to you? Because listen, until sin becomes a stench, salvation can never be a sweet aroma. Has your sin become a stench to you have you come to the place where you realize, man, I'm so, I have such a superiority complex. I feel like I'm better than everybody and I'm so self-righteous and, and so I have this tendency to look down my nose at people and have you come intimately aware of that reality in your life? 
Has your sin, the, the sin that leads you to live your, a life of selfishness and everybody exists to serve you and if you don't have your way, then you're gonna let everybody hear it. Have you seen that as a stench in your life? And Moses is answering this question, man, how do we approach a holy God when we are so jacked up? And what do we do to clean up our slip-ups? Well, Moses says you gotta bring an offering. You gotta bring an offering. This word offering in the Hebrew is the word korban, and it comes from the root word korab, which means to draw near. Isn't that great? And so when you are making an offering to God, what you are literally doing is you are drawing near to God. And Moses is saying like, hey, we have a God that wants you. Like all your curves, all your edges, all your perfect imperfections, all of you, John Legend would say, warts and all, you come that you can draw near to this God. He's not taken back by your sex addiction. He's not taken back by your, your, your issue that, that leads you to be a racist. He, he's not taken back by your, your past, by your pain, by what's taken place in your life. He's not taken back by you. His grace is infinite. And he says to all this morning, come, come near. James 4, 8 says this, you draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You make an offering to God, you draw near, and he will make an offering to you, he will draw near. Listen, God is not mad at you. God wants you, he invites all of you. And this is not religion's language. See, religion's language says, okay, you got issues, you need to fix those issues, clean it all up, and then come. That's what religion says. But we have a God that says, come, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. See, religion says this. Religion says, I slipped up, my dad's gonna kill me. But Christianity says, I slipped up, I need to tell my dad. Religion says, I slipped up, oh, God's wrath is either gonna smite me. But Christianity says, no, no, no. God wants to draw near to you. You come and let me know what's going on. See, the irony of sacrifice is that we draw near to the one that we have offended and Moses is laying out this beautiful language, this Levitical language that is a shadow of a greater sacrifice to come. That in Christ, he is the manifestation of all five offerings that we will learn about. In Jesus, he became a stench so that we could be a sweet smell. It's this great exchange language. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says this, for he made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us. He became the stench that we might become the righteousness of God. That this sin offering that we're talking about in Leviticus, it is a poignant picture of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for the sins of the world. That Jesus is the lamb without blemish that is talked about and required in verse 23. That these last two offerings, they were mandatory offerings and they were bitter aromas that Jesus became all five of the offerings on the cross and he cried, Eloi, Eloi, lamat sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus became the aroma of death on the cross so that you and I would have the opportunity to be the aroma of life to God. That Jesus, he was crucified outside the city gates of Jerusalem and the offering, the sin offering, it was also slaughtered and burnt outside the camp. That Jesus is the substance of the shadow. And this morning we're gonna come and we're gonna celebrate his sacrifice through what we call the Lord's Supper. And you're gonna be given bread and you're gonna be given a cup and you're gonna remember the brokenness of Jesus's body. He was broken for you and me. You're gonna remember the blood that was shed on Calvary. His blood poured out for you and me. And we're gonna invite you to remember this great sacrifice. 
Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. You know that, right? Hebrews 9.22 states that. And Leviticus 17.11 says this, that life is in the blood. It is shed to make atonement. Atonement is a word that literally means at one meant. Jesus shed his blood so that you could be united with him. That he is the cleanup for your slip up. No one's perfect. And God says, come, offer yourself and I will offer you me. I wonder, do you know God? Have you come to the place in your life where you are intimately aware of your need of a savior? Have you come to the place where you're like, man, I'm more jacked up than I really want to admit, but the gospel tells me I'm more loved than I ever imagined. See, some of you, you don't need to take the elements this morning. You just need to simply cry out to Jesus and say, oh God, save me. I see my sin like never before. I know it, I'm aware of it, and I wanna draw near to you, and I wanna be born again as the language of Jesus uses. I, I wanna have a relationship with you that God wants you to not remember something you haven't experienced. <laughs> and so maybe you need to surrender your life over to Jesus this morning. And that's what the sin offering tells us we ought to do. Well, there's, there's one last offering that we're gonna talk about, and it's called the trespass offering. And Jesus, he's, he's very, very um, up on you being right with other people. And so this final offering is all about you being right with God through being right with others. And here's what it says in Leviticus chapter six. It says, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, if a person sins and commits a trespass against the Lord, notice who the trespass is against. The Lord first, by lying to his neighbor about what was delivered to him for safekeeping, or about a pledge, or about a robbery, or if he has extorted from his neighbor, or if he has found what was lost and lies concerning it and swears falsely, if any one of these things that a man may do in which he sins. Like Moses is kind of, this isn't an exhaustive list, okay? He's just kind of like, hey, if you've done something to sin against your brother, you know, this is like, here's some categories. Let's get specific here. So think about your life. Like, what, what are the things you've done to hurt people in your life? Maybe you've, you've dishonored somebody in your household by the way that you spoke to them, like I mentioned earlier, the way I spoke to my wife. Uh, maybe, you, maybe you've lied. Maybe you've taken some things. Maybe you have sinned against someone, or maybe you, you hopped on social media and you're just like the Facebook person that just posts a bunch of really, really offensive things. And you're like, oh, I love just making people upset. And you, you posted them offensive, some offensive things that were sinful, I should say. Maybe you robbed dignity from somebody because you didn't treat them as an image bearer of God. Maybe you, with, you have withheld forgiveness or generosity or grace or mercy. And Moses is saying if you have trespassed or if you've sinned against somebody, you've sinned against God. And he goes on in verse four, he says, and then it shall be because he has sinned and is guilty that he shall restore, restore, you can circle that word, that's critical. He shall restore what he has stolen or the thing which he's extorted or what was delivered to him for safekeeping or the lost thing which he found or all that about which he swore falsely. He shall restore its full value, check this out, and one-fifth more. So he says you gotta pay it all back and 20% and give it to whomever it belongs on the day of his trespass offering and he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord. If you're taking notes this morning, write this down. Point number two, the makeup for the mess up. The makeup for the mess up. Did you know that God takes our relational restoration very seriously? 
That notice the issue has to be resolved between the person before you can ever present the offering. And that when you sin against someone, you are ultimately sinning against God. Because God, God's wanting us to have a relationships that are, that are marked by love. Because listen, ask yourself this question. How can you love a God you can't see if you can't love a person that you can't see? Some of you are like, Jesus changed my life. Look out, I'm driving, ah! You know. Oh, they're from Kansas or they're from Missouri, right? That makes sense, you know. Like, man, if we, just, if we just watched the way you drove, it would be hard to accuse you of believing a God that loves people. Some of y'all gotta say ouch instead of amen, right? But, but seriously, the way that you interact with your people in your life, your family, your crew, your coworkers, how can you love a God you can't see if you can't love a person that you can? And God takes relational restoration very serious. And in order to draw near to God, in order to make an offering to God, you must seek restoration with man. And so I told you I jacked that little girl up, right? Like, boom, you know, smoked her, man. I'm so sorry. She had a concussion. I'm just kidding. She was fine, you know, after a while. Anyway, picked her up, and I was like, sorry, gave her to her parents, you know, and that sort of thing. But I was like, man, I, I, you know, I said I'm sorry, but you know what? I needed to, I wanted to take it a step further. And so I went to my favorite bakery. It's called McLean's Bakery in Waldo. Oh, thank God for McLean's. If you haven't been there, you need to go, okay? Anyway, they have cookies that will... Just change your life, seriously. Anyway, so you go there, get cookies. And so I called uh, this little girl's mom, and I was like, hey, I'm gonna buy a cookie for her, and what's her favorite cookie? And she's like, no, no, you don't need to do that. I was like, no, 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 seriously. Let me get her a cookie. I'm getting her a cookie. Which one? Chocolate chip, all right. And this little girl's a twin, and here's what I know about twins. If you mess with one, you mess with both of them, right? And so I was like, you know what? I, I hit her so hard, it hurt her, right? <laughs> And so I'm gonna get two cookies. And so I bought a couple of cookies. And, and, and then the next game, I was like, hey, I, I wanted to apologize again for, for hitting you. And I'm so sorry, but I got you cookies. Will you forgive me? And, and so I gave her those cookies because, listen, I wanted my apology to cost me something. See, the sincerity of your apology will be seen by your sacrifice. What, what does your apology cost you? We see this in Leviticus chapter four. It says like, you, you've got to pay it back and then add 20%. Some of you, you need to take your wife to dinner tonight. Go to Third Street. So, yeah, amen, I was like, thank you. <laughs> he just got elbowed. <laughs> and here's why you need to take her to dinner. Because you've been speaking to her in a way you shouldn't have been. And you need to buy her dinner and you need to look in their eyes and you need to apologize. Ask for forgiveness. And you need to make things right. Some of you, you need to loan your TV. You just need to get it out of the house. You know, because when you apologize to your family or you apologize to your roommates for just being so passive and disengaged, you get off work, you come in, kick your shoes off, and then you're ESPN binging or watching the playoffs or whatever the thing is that, that's got you locked in, and you keep saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'll engage more, I'm just tired, but you're, you've got enough energy to watch TV all day. Maybe you need to allow your apology to lead you to sacrifice your TV for a season. Some of you, you need to get rid of your smartphone because you keep looking at pornography, apologizing to your husband or apologizing to your wife, saying, no, this has nothing to do with you, but it has everything to do with your intimacy. 
And maybe you get rid of your, your smartphone so, so you can say that my apology is costing me something because the sincerity of your apology will be seen by your sacrifice. Maybe you need to go buy some coffee for the whole office and you need to buy coffee and you need to bring it in tomorrow morning and you need to have everybody in the break room and say, hey, I wanted to get y'all all coffee and I wanted to apologize because I have been a royal pain in the gluteus maximus and I'm sorry. Sorry I've been hard to work with. Would y'all forgive me? What does your apology cost you? Like, what if there was a price tag for every injury that we committed? Some of y'all's wives would be rich, man, right? My wife, she'd be, she'd be retired early from being a mom, you know, whatever. And so, I mean, some of y'all, like, like your roommates, be, what if you had to shell out money every time you injured someone? Here's the truth, there is a price tag for every injury because there's a name tag on every person that you injure. Moses is telling us this is how you make up for your mess up. You make things right. And this morning we're gonna remember the sacrifice of Christ, but don't come and take of the bread and of the cup without being right with your, your neighbor, with your brother, with your sister, with your husband, with your wife, with your kids. Don't flippantly remember the Lord's death while you are, while you are defiantly rebelling against his desire in your life. Uh, Jesus, he echoes this sentiment in Matthew chapter five and he actually ups it a little bit. Here's what he says in Matthew chapter five, verse 23 and 24. He says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother. You can circle that word reconcile. If you were able to pull up Leviticus six next to Matthew five, you would find that there is similar definitions in the word reconcile and restore. That Jesus no doubt had Leviticus 6 in his mind, the trespass offering, when he was speaking to his audience that day. He says, first, go be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Point number three, and finally, if you're taking notes this morning, write this down, offer an apology. Offer an apology. I don't know if you caught in Matthew chapter five. Jesus, he says this, not if you remember that you, has, you have an issue with somebody, but if you remember that somebody has an issue with you, he says, go and make peace. Even when you haven't done anything wrong, per se, go and make peace. That these people, they would have been bringing like a burnt offering or a grain offering or a peace offering. They would have been bringing a, a, a you know, like a, a free will offering. And Jesus is saying, hey, don't, don't bring your gift don't bring your free will offering if you're not gonna do what is mandatory. Don't try to offer me a sacrifice if you're not trying to walk in obedience. That in order to draw near to God, we must first seek restoration with man. So some of you are like, all right, Chad, so, so if you're saying somebody has something against me, I gotta go to them. Yes. And you, you may only have like 1% to own in this whole issue, but you need to own 100% of your 1%. Because listen, your, your presence aren't a gift to God if you're not at peace with others. And God would always rather have your obedience than your offering. And so this morning, some of us don't need to remember the Lord's sacrifice. We need to go make an apology to someone. We need to set an appointment on our calendar. Go ahead and send the email out to the group of people and we need to set the thing in motion that's gonna resolve the conflict in our lives. I'm inviting you to make an apology this morning because apologies are the prerequisite to reconciliation.
We don't slaughter animals in our day anymore, okay? You're not gonna bring a, a, a lamb without blemish and put it on the altar and slaughter it, but you may have to bring your pride and put it on the altar and slaughter it. That when we apologize, we humble ourselves and we seek the good of the community above our own. I'm calling you to walk out Leviticus 6 this morning and slaughter your pride and apologize. So I wish I could say that I did this on Monday with my wife. You know, we had that little uh, discussion. And to make matters worse, one of my best friends from Texas, he was in town visiting and he was in the room doing the whole thing. And so I go to the basement to finish up my work and my wife, she meets me down there. And she begins to walk out this text way better than I. <laughs> and she begins to initiate reconciliation with me and she begins to own her part and apologize. And, and then I, you know, I, I say, well, you know what, I shouldn't have spoke to you that way and I, I apologize. And she looks at me and she says, is this gonna run our evening? We had a great evening plan. We were gonna go out to dinner with good friends and we were gonna just enjoy one of those special, sacred, holy moments. And I looked at her and I said, no, let us not allow this little tussy to run our evening. And so we were reconciled. I wonder, who do you need to apologize to this morning? What, what, what thing do you need to make right this morning? Maybe you're a teenage girl here this morning and you've got so much emotion going on, you don't even know like how to make sense of everything that you're feeling and you're just an emotional basket case. We understand, all right? But that does not give you an excuse to perpetually pester your parents and to give them grief. Maybe you need to go to your parents and apologize. Oh, you claim that God changed you at one week. You claim that God's been working in your life. Well, humble yourself, young lady, and apologize. Maybe you're a, a man here this, this morning and you've been going to Tuesday night men's meeting at the core and you've been raising holy hands and worship and God has been working in your life but then you go and you hurl insults at your family and maybe you need to grab your spouse by the hand and apologize. Maybe you're a divorcee and you found this place and you've stumbled into a a right relationship with Jesus, and you've understood that, that God hates divorce, but he loves divorcees, and you found hope and forgiveness and freedom, but the more you think about the pain that has been inflicted by your ex-spouse, you think, no, I can't, I can't, I can't, but maybe you need to go to them, and you need to apologize. Who do you need to apologize to? Because listen, who's gonna believe you when you say there is an invisible God, there's an invisible God that wants to give you love? Who's gonna believe you that when you say that, when you withhold the same love from a visible person? Again, who do you need to apologize to? Who do you need to apologize to? Now we can't assume that everybody knows how to apologize because there's so much relational issues in our culture in this day and age. And I think if we knew how to do this properly, I think that, that it would create a lot of healing and harmony in our relationships. 
but I just think that we don't know how to do this. And so I wanna give you four steps to make an apology. Three statements and one question. Here's the first statement right here, I did it. I did it. You can just write, I did blank. On Monday, I spoke in a demeaning and rude and dishonoring tone to my wife. I did it. See, when we get specific about our sin, it leads us to have substance in our sincerity, that our specificity displays sincerity. I did this. And then we have to say, I was wrong and I'm sorry. And when we use these three statements, it allows us not to rush an apology, but to own our part. Notice Leviticus, it gives these very clear categories. If you lied or if you embezzled or if you did this or this. And so you just need to insert what is the thing that you did in, in particular. Get specificity because what happens a lot of times, guys, I know I do this. I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for everything, you know. <laughs> but when we're sorry for everything, we're really not sorry for anything, right? And so this allows us to get specific. Now this next question, man, this, this question, it's, it's the game changer. Because these statements, they arm people. Even if you're trying to say, I did it, I was wrong, I'm sorry. But questions, they disarm people. And so three statements, one question, how to make an apology, and here it is. Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? This is the goal, that there would be forgiveness and reconciliation. And when you say the words, will you forgive me, it puts us in a position of humility where we're asking for something rather than a position of control where we're making statements. Who do you need to apologize to? And Leviticus is saying that apologies and reconciliation and peace, they must be made. This is mandatory in the eyes of God for the people of God. And reconciliation is always costly. It requires honesty. But the results lead to relationships that flourish. I want to invite you just to bow your head, close your eyes. And I just want to talk to you just a little bit longer as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper. And I want you to think with me. Let us not rush into these moments. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians, he says that we are to examine ourselves so let every man and woman here this morning examine him or herself. And so let them eat of the bread and drink of the cup for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Recently, I was preparing to take the Lord's Supper and I could not take of the elements until I set a meeting in my calendar with particular individuals so that I could seek understanding and make sure that there was peace. So maybe before you take the bread and the cup, you need to do that. Maybe you need to make a phone call. You, you, maybe you need to go grab somebody by the hand and just walk out and before you celebrate the Lord's death, you need to go honor his life. It's a sin to make light of Jesus' death by not living right with people. Hebrews says this, for if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation 
of judgment and a fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Let us not make light of the death and the sacrifice of Jesus. Three questions and I'll pray. Where have you slipped up and stumbled? What is that sin that trips your trigger? And what are you doing with it? Has it become a stench in your nose? Where have you slipped up and stumbled? Question number two. Who have you jacked up and hurt? Question number three, who do you need to apologize to? Lord Jesus, I pray for my friends. God, I ask that you would help them just to be obedient to what you're asking of them. God, help us to receive your mercy and your grace. You that knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Help that to be a reality in our life. God, give us a greater glimpse of our depravity so that we can realize that we're drowning in a sea of destruction and we would cry out, save me. And we would find you sufficient to be our sin offering. God, I pray that you would bring to mind those who we are not in harmony with. Give us the courage to initiate reconciliation. I did it, I was wrong, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And you would do something beautiful to bring about restoration between us and you and us and others. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Well, at this time the ushers are gonna distribute the elements for the Lord's Supper. Make sure that you grab uh, the bread and the cup as it passes by your lap. And we're about to sing a song um, but here's what I wanna invite you to do. Don't grab the elements if you're not at peace with God or if you're not at peace with man. If you do, you're heaping judgment upon yourself, the scripture says. But you grab those elements and then we're gonna sing a song and the pastor Phil is gonna come up and he's gonna lead us through the Lord's Supper. And so you take the elements and sing with us. Salvation. 
Reconciled with God, the sin offering. Reconciled with others, the trespass offering. Jesus gave his life so that we could be at peace with God and peace with men. On the night before his death, he was celebrating the Passover, the Jewish Passover. And on this night, it would take on a whole new meaning. The Jews, as a part of that Passover Seder, We'd eat of unleavened bread. They would call it the bread of affliction as they remembered the affliction of bondage in Egypt. But on this night, it would take on a whole new meaning. As Jesus said, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. And indeed, he was giving his body to be afflicted for sin, afflicted for men and women. He said, take eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. And Jesus, we remember what you did and that the sinless, unleavened bread of life took upon himself all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our pain. You took our stain. You gave your body to be broken and bruised and bleeding. You were flogged by our freedom. You were pierced to ease our pain, but by your stripes, we're healed. And we take of this bread to remember, lest we ever forget, the sacrifice of the Son of God. And then it says, after supper, he took the cup. And there were actually four cups of the Jewish Passover Seder. And the cup that we remember is the third cup after supper it was called the cup of redemption and the jews remember their redemption as god redeemed them out of slavery and jesus forever would change the meaning that cup of redemption would be a remembrance that he has redeemed us out of the slavery of sin and the bondage to this world as he poured out his blood for all men and all women he said this is the cup of the New Testament in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And Jesus, we thank you that you poured out your blood for without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. 
The life of the flesh is in the blood. You gave your life, you poured out your blood to redeem us who were dead forever in our sin, to give us eternal life here, now, and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. isn't he? Give him glory, would you? Praise him. Our redemption. 4.30 over in the core, we're taking a deep dive into the book of Leviticus this afternoon. Open Q&A. We'd love to see you there. Some of you need to, before you go that way, come this way. People here to minister to you, pray with you. If you know you're not reconciled to God, today would be the day. We love you so much. Have a really awesome week. Invite somebody to Easter weekend. Going to be a powerful gospel message.